You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for FanRank Sports and FanSided. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. And you can find all of the podcast content at LockedOnPackers.com. It is Friday, and free agency has slowed to a crawl, but there is still plenty to talk about in Packerland. We're going to have Connor Rogers from the Stick to Football podcast from Bleacher Report and a writer at FanRag Sports with me on a little bit later to discuss the Muhammad Wilkerson signing. We had Danny Kelly on earlier in the week to talk Jimmy Graham. Now Connor Rogers to talk Muhammad Wilkerson. It is my goal that for when these players come in, if there are more players, and there could be more by the time you listen to this, a cornerback perhaps, that that will become Packers. And hopefully ESPN and NFL Network will find better Photoshop people to, to put them in Packers uniforms when and if that happens. I'm going to try and bring you that information, those interviews, to, to give you insight on the player that is coming to the team that you love. But first, we have to start with Jordy Nelson and the discussion around not only his release, but now his new home in Oakland. He signs for $7.5 million a year. And it is, frankly, shocking is the wrong word. I'm surprised the Raiders gave him that much. But let's back this up just a second because what was reported was first just his release. And the Packers had a press conference, which is rare in these kinds of situations. The last time I can remember them doing that for a player release um, or, or something similar is when they had a press conference uh, for Brett Favre so, and that trade. So I, this is, unprecedented is the wrong word, but it's pretty close. And it seemed like at the time that, oh, they're moving on, they're saving a double-digit millions of dollars, and they're basically swapping the contract for Jimmy Graham. And that that was enough. And I think a lot of Packer fans had made their peace. I, I pointed out when it happened that there were a lot of Packer fans at the end of the year resolute that they were okay with Jordy Nelson not being on this team or understanding that he just looks washed, frankly. And, and that is hard to say as someone that has loved to watch him develop and continue to be underrated and continue to run by guys even when he has established himself as a premier deep threat, deep threat in the league. But when he was released and I suggested the Packers would bring him back at a lower rate, something they'd done in the past, there were a lot of people that those same people, it seemed like, that were very interested in doing that, that were hurt that he was leaving and potentially out the door, despite the fact that, again, there was this same horde of people that were like, okay, it, it might be time for, for the Packers to move on from Jordy Nelson. That didn't happen. And what was reported by Jason Wilde and then James Jones, subsequently, intrepid reporter James Jones, apparently, breaking school. He broke the Jordy Nelson to the Oakland news. He reported, and, and Jason Wilde reported, 
that the Packers did make an offer and that it was a lowball offer. Those were James Jones' words. Wildy said it was, if not the veteran minimum, something close to the veteran minimum. A player with with 10 plus years of service like Nelson had would have basically been paid a million or so dollars. So, I mean, still, it's not the the normal two-year, three-year veteran minimum where he's going to make three or $400,000. It's still a million, but that is a huge pay cut. And there were a lot of people in the media, fans, uh, people that I really respect and think are smart, uh, who I just materially disagree with in how this was handled. There was some discussion that this was an insulting offer. That was the word that that someone with knowledge of the situation used to describe it to me. Um, there was another phrase that was filled with expletives that I won't repeat in description of the offer. And my response to that is I understand the feeling that the Packers didn't see value in bringing him back. They've done this before. They did it with Josh Sitton. They did it with TJ Lang. They said, we're moving on from a player that still has something in the tank because we don't want to pay and we want to expedite the rebuilding process. We want to bring in someone who can contribute, that we can grow with, that we can develop the next Devontae Adams. That's what the Packers need. Because Jordy Nelson was a limited player in this offense moving forward. I've made my feeling on that very clear, I think. And I've made very clear my my feeling on how I think Jimmy Graham can replicate a lot of the production that Jordy Nelson gave to this offense. All of that aside, it seemed like what people had a problem with was this veteran minimum offer. My response to that is, would you rather them have offered him nothing? Is that a better outcome? And if the answer is yes, I just don't know that I agree. But I, I think also the context of that offer has to matter. So let's say the situation is that the Packers call Jordy Nelson or his agent or both and say, here's the situation. We're moving on. We're going to release you. Okay. It seems like There's this cohort of people who believe if that had been the end of it, that is understandable. There is no wrong being done. I don't know if I believe that that's what they really think, that that's what they're really saying. Because the offer, the lowball offer, is what has them so hot. And my thing is, if if Jordy or his agent go to the team and say, okay, I understand, what is the number you'd be willing to do coming back. And if they say, look, we'd really like to move on, but if you're willing to play on the minimum, you can come back. And I understand why that would seem insulting. But at the same time, I understand why the Packers would do it. If they've decided that they are moving on and they don't want to allocate resources to a player that they think has waning skills, if that's what they believe and clearly that's what they believe, then I agree with them. And I understand the value in wanting to expedite that process and say, Jordy, you've had a great career in Green Bay. We'd like to move on. We're going to bring in newer, faster people with more upside. That at least is the hope 
That's what they're going to try to do. And say, look, if you want to come back and play for peanuts, you can. The Packers probably knew he wouldn't. Although James Jones said he mulled that offer for longer than than James would have, frankly. And there were a lot of people that said, well, they should have valued him at a higher number. Couldn't they have said for four or five million, we'd have you back? And my my response to that is, maybe, but if they want to move on, then they're moving on irrespective of the cost. It's not just the cost. It's the opportunity cost of not having the next guy getting snaps. Let's say they like Cortland Sutton or Calvin Ridley or Christian Kirk or DJ Moore, and they want to bring that guy in and they want to groom him to be the next guy. If Jordy Nelson is getting 60-70% of snaps, then you're inhibiting the progress of the next guy. And from a team-building standpoint, in the long view of all of this, I can understand why Green Bay would say, look, this is not just about the money. This is about roster spot and, and, and practice time and development. And we want to get a young guy in there now so that when Rodgers is 36, 37, 38, we have the next guy ready to go so that we don't have to do that. We don't have to bring this guy in in, in three or four years. And so I, to me, then the question is, would he have played at four or five? I think he probably would have, but the Packers didn't want to pay him at that rate. I don't have a problem with that. I don't think that's insulting. And the fact that the Raiders decided to pay him $7.5 million a year is not proof that the Packers made a mistake. It is only proof that some other team valued him more than the Packers did. That is not also in itself offensive. I just, I don't have a problem with the Packers looking at it that way. Now, if they said, look, you either play on the minimum or we're going to cut you, that's not how you handle a respected veteran and a fan favorite in your franchise. It's just not. And so if that's what happened, then I would have a different view of how Green Bay handled their business here. Short of having that information, I can't assume either way. So I don't I don't have a take. My take is I think they were right to move on and I understand why they would say, look, at almost no price are we willing to have you back because we want to move on. Would it have changed your mind if the Packers had offered Josh Sitton the minimum? He clearly wouldn't have taken it. He had a market. Would it have changed your mind if the Packers had offered TJ Lang the minimum? He had a market. He had a huge market. And the Packers, there's no way, regardless of what you think about the cutting and that whole situation, bringing him back at $7.5 million was never going to be a thing. Because then why, at that point, why cut him? There's no savings. You're saving, you know, less than $3 million. So why even bother? It's just one of those things that I think the fans were mad about Jordy Nelson not being back and then decided to take that anger out on the process. And what they were really saying was, we think they should have given him a 4 or $5 million offer. My counter to that is, it seems to me, given the evidence that we have, or at least that I have, because I don't, I don't have the details of those offers and the circumstances under which they took place. Given what we know, it's clear to me the Packers wanted to move on. 
And given that that's clearly what they wanted to do, I don't have a problem with them saying, we don't really even want to discuss this at a lower price unless it's going to be the lowest possible price. And even then, I think the Packers knew he was just not going to take it. If there were hurt feelings, I think the Packers owe it to, to Jordy to have a discussion about that, whether it's Mike McCarthy or Mark Murphy or someone calling him and saying, look, we understand if you have hurt feelings about this, if you felt like we handled this the wrong way, that was not our intention or whatever, whatever conversation. I think you can just say professional respect dictates that that you treat him with some respect. I, I don't have any evidence to suggest that they didn't. So this is the problem that I have with the assumptions that are being made. Given the evidence that we have and the extrapolation that I can can safely do, I think, I do not have a problem with the way this all went down. He's an Oakland Raider now. Luckily, not a Patriot if you're a Packers fan, a Seahawk, a Bear. This is the best possible outcome. I think everyone can agree we hope he plays well in Oakland. And and James Jones said he wants to retire a Packer, whether that's actually as a player or a one-day contract, we'll, we'll have to see. Before we get to Connor, I want to remind you about our Pro Football Focus Edge subscription giveaway. Put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes. We are having our biggest week in the show's history. Our show on Wednesday was the biggest show we've ever done by downloads and views. I, I so appreciate that. Please give me your feedback, your reviews. It really helps me out. It, it matters to iTunes and Spotify and the charts and our advertisers. So put your name and your Twitter handle in a review of this podcast on iTunes. I want to give you a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. I want to get you behind that paywall, a $39.99 value, and give you access to player grades, charts, fantasy football tools, NFL draft content, free agency content, all of that. Behind the paywall, I can give it to you for free if you enter and win our contest. Name, Twitter handle, in a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to Connor Rogers. You can find him on Twitter at Connor J. Rogers. No D, so not like Aaron Rodgers, R O G E R S. He's at Bleacher Report, Stick to Football Podcast. He also does Stick to the Jets, and he writes for Fanrag Sports. Connor, thanks for joining Locked on Packers. Thank you for having me, man. It's good to finally uh, catch up. Yeah, for sure. So we we have something to talk about that is, in any other offseason for the Green Bay Packers, the biggest story of the offseason. And yet, it doesn't even crack the top two for the Packers. And that is that they signed Muhammad Wilkerson to a very team-friendly one-year deal. Uh, his connection to Mike Pettin being the most obvious piece of this but let's back all of that up as someone who's followed the Jets. What has been the problem the last two or so years for Muhammad Wilkerson? Because we know what he's capable of doing, what his talent was when he was in his prime. Well, it's a combination of things. I mean, when you look at it, the injury that he actually had before the extension was clearly a factor in this. I think coming back, whether it was rehab taking longer or getting on the field too quick, he hasn't been the same player since. Now, I don't think that's the only factor here, though. When you look at it, if you follow the New York media, specifically the New York Daily News under Manish Mehta, who I've had on my podcast, and I'll tell you what, people could say what they want about Manish, but he's a, a very detailed reporter. He's a very plugged-in reporter. He has said that Mo Wilkerson has been late to meetings, has clearly not prioritized football in his life, has 
Manisha said that he has three children with three separate women in the New Jersey area. So it might be related to being close to home. But at the end of the day, and there's also been the connections with troubles with alcohol, you know, once again from the Daily News. So there's a lot of smoke here that there's problems with Mo Wilkerson off the field. The injury on the field was an initial problem. So that's a bad combination. And I think work ethic is a legitimate issue. Now, when a guy is playing for his career, a young guy, let's not forget, this isn't a 32, 33-year-old player. This is a young guy looking to hang around the NFL to support him, to support his entire family. Like I said, to support clearly, apparently three children. There's a lot on the line here. So sometimes that drives people and a change of scenery sometimes drives people. But he does have to get this together. Is it a, just a question of, of whether it's attitude or, or work ethic or effort? Is is the talent that we saw? I mean, this is a guy who had double-digit sacks in his career for someone who plays as much on the interior as he does. That's pretty remarkable. Is the talent still in that body when he wants it to be? I don't think so. I, I think since the injury, he has had no explosiveness in the lower body. I think a lot of his strength has been lost. When you see the stalemates he gets into in the trenches— He's not winning off the snap like he used to. Now, does that mean he can't hold up against the run anymore? No, he, that's actually one thing he can maybe get to an average level. But in terms of a pass rusher, pass rusher, if you're struggling to get off the snap quickly and use your strength, something that Mo Wilkerson was really gifted with was power, upper and lower body power with strong hands. We haven't seen that. And you do have to wonder, maybe that's not coming back to full form because of the injury. Now, the work ethic clearly could be better. So I think there's a chance that this guy can be uh, an effective player, maybe a six, seven sack kind of guy that does good against the run for what the Packers paid. That would be great. Now there was a time where he was in the same conversation or at least being mentioned in the same conversation with guys like Fletcher Cox, even JJ Watt before JJ Watt became one of the most dominant players in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was in the same conversation with those guys. And guess what? I mean, it couldn't have gone in more opposite directions since. Now, the guy who was coaching him when he was at his peak was Mike Patton when he was in New York. So Patton obviously now in Green Bay, a, a change of, of venue for him, a change of scenery for Muhammad Wilkerson. The meeting, you know, Muhammad Wilkerson went to Green Bay first, went to Mike Patton first. That seems like his way of admitting, I, I need this change of scenery and maybe this coach could bring that out of me. What is it about Mike Patton that that could change the situation and, and what does Mike Pettin bring to Green Bay? Well I think when you look at it, Mohammed Wilkerson, like you like you said, Peter, is a guy that has success under this coach. He's he's really flourished as a five tech defensive lineman under him, a role that they traditionally kept him in there. Now things got a little jammed up in New York with Sheldon Richardson and Leonard Williams, guys that flat out came in and ended up playing better than Mo. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of moved shuffled them all around to an extent. Some players really don't like that. Now when you look at Pettin I loved his creativity week by week. There wasn't it, it was very hard for offenses to necessarily game plan against him because he changed things up so much, whether it's whether it's pattern coverage, whether it's the pressure packages that they bring. I thought they were very creative with pressure packages because a problem for New York was they didn't really get a lot of edge pressure. They they fed off their interior pressure and got their exterior pressure from sending the slot corner, from sending linebackers. So that was what Pettin was was so good at because it helped create turnovers, help quarterbacks, you know, make them feel uncomfortable. So I think I think that's what Green Bay needs, to be honest with you. They're a team that it should kind of try to feast or famine on defense at times because they have such a powerful offense that will always keep them in games with the best quarterback in the NFL. And I think that was some of the idea here with 
Penn, who also, to his credit, seems to get the most out of a lot of his players. Yeah, that's something that, that Dom Capers really struggled with the last few years was being able to scheme guys free with his blitz packages. It seemed like offenses knew what was coming. They were able to get things blocked up, and now you're dealing with, let's be honest, less than elite talents in the secondary, and, and that's just against most offenses in the NFL. That's going to be a problem. Uh, give, give me, if you're gonna if you're going to give me sort of a best-case scenario for Wilkerson moving forward, um, you know, you mentioned you were a little bit dubious of, of what he was able to do physically. Let's say the next couple months he dedicates to, to getting in great shape and, and comes in and, and is a good fit for what Petten wants to do, as you said. What is the best case scenario here for Green Bay? Well, I think on the field, in the best case scenario, you do get a guy that, listen, off the field is another question, but on the field, he, he is a disciplined player. He knows how to stop the run. He knows how to control gaps. So, Listen, he's a disciplined run defender and a pretty smart run defender. There was a time where he played very hard and brought a different energy to the into, to the front. And maybe he can do that with Green Bay, especially with another young guy there like Kenny Clark. You, you want the energy matters for this Green Bay defense. And like I said, there truly was a time where Mo Wilkerson had that. Can he get that back? Can he find that again? Forget the production. Yes, you would love to get six or seven sacks out of him, right? Or And be wise enough to you know sure. bat balls down at the line of scrimmage because this is a player with – if you've ever seen his wingspan, it's it's literally doorframe wingspan. So he's been gifted with all of the raw tools, and he can be a shutdown. I truly do believe he can get back to being a shutdown run defender more so than a pass rush threat. And I think Green Bay would be really happy with that. Yeah, they were already a top 10 defense uh, stopping the run by DVOA last year. Uh, it is it is hard for me to believe that anyone could give less than 100% effort playing next to Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark, who are yes. <laughs> all out every single play. And if you're not doing that, you will hear it from someone like Mike Daniels. So I, 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 that can go one of two ways, right? Either either Mo responds to it in a positive way and it motivates him, or he shuts down and decides, uh, you know, he doesn't want to hear Mike Daniels talk. A lot of players in the Packers locker room, because Daniels talks so much, are just sort of like, that's just Mike. We're just going to let him talk. But it, it can also rub players the wrong way. So that could go one of two ways. I mean, it definitely can. And listen, it, I'm sure there was, a, like I said to you, that there was probably a little bit of the same in New York. I do think that, you know, the lackadaisical approach to Moe's day-to-day, whether it was being late to meetings, whether it was giving very little at practice and on the field, the Jets have a different culture there now in defense. They got two nasty safeties right out of the SEC that are, you know, that's those guys played tough ball, especially Jamal Adams, who is a little more vocal. And Demario Davis last year was a vocal leader, a guy that played super hard and essentially had a career year so I think it really did create a problem where those guys gave it their 120 percent throughout camp throughout the season for a Jets team that clearly overachieved especially on the defensive side of the ball that's where you know players can really be rubbed the wrong way by Wilkerson now Green Bay who has a consistent winning culture especially with Aaron Rodgers there it can have the opposite effect where he does want to be along for the ride he does want to maybe he finds a home in Green Bay or maybe he pushes for a really nice contract you know a two to three year deal in the next offseason free agent market so there's a lot on the line for Mo Wilkerson here I would you hope that he responds the right way to it and like I said he's a guy that if things do go well for Green Bay I think he will really get back to at least being not his full self but an average solid player and not the lackluster player that he's been for New York the last two years I know you're a draft guy as well. Stick to football podcast is is a lot of, of that kind of stuff. So I, I can't let you go without getting 
what who you would be if you were if you were in Brian Gutekunst's chair and the Packers are sitting there at 14 give me two or three guys that you would target to to take this team to the next level cuz this is the highest they've picked since 2009 well I'd love to go see them get a shutdown corner I, here's a little secret I was a big Demarius Randall fan whether it was corner or free safety I, I like the player I like what the player can be so I think Green Bay's got to go out and get a corner that's no secret now Denzel World, Denzel, Denzel Ward is an all-world type of talent. I really think so. He's a great corner. If he was six feet tall, he'd be a lock, a lock for the top five. So I don't think he's. it's really fair to say he makes it to 14. I think that's just not realistic. Josh Jackson is a guy. Does he make it to 14? The under-the-radar corner that I like for Green Bay is Mike Hughes out of Central Florida. He's a guy that can play press coverage, has ball skills. He's a good athlete. So when you look at 14, I, and I know Green Bay is notorious for taking taller corners, and Mike Hughes is not that, but maybe we see a little bit of a change in philosophy. Another guy on the defensive side of the ball would be Harold Landry from Boston College. Mm-hmm. He played hurt this year, and when you go, go turn on the 2016 tape and see how he gets upfield, how he wins off the edge with explosiveness and bend, he was a very productive player. I think Green Bay can use a little more pass rush. Listen, when you need pass rush help and you need secondary help, Take the best guy available to you. Those are probably going to be the two best guys, if I had to guess. It would be interesting, right, if if after Mike Patton spent his time in, in New York and, and the Jets consistently tried to find that edge guy, that the first draft with him in Green Bay, they got an edge rusher in the first round. Yeah, and they've always, they always had corners for Patton, whether it was Revis and Cromartie. They really, that was one thing they prioritized. So I don't think Patton's going to feel comfortable going into the season without a lot of help at corner. But listen, we know how premium of a value Edge is, so I wouldn't sleep on that. Indeed. Connor, let uh, my listeners know where they can find all of the work that you do. Sure. Uh, on Twitter, at Connor J. Rogers. Bleacher Report, Stick to Football podcast on iTunes. Stick to the Jets podcast on iTunes. And all the writing, something we, uh, we mutually share, all the writing on FanRag Sports these days. All right, Connor, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem, man. All right, I want to thank Connor again for joining the program. Great stuff as always. Check out Stick to Football. Check out his writing. He's also a great Twitter follow. A lot of NFL draft content this time of year, so check him out on Twitter at Connor J. Rogers. Remember, no D, R-O-G-E-R-S. We'll be back next week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Maybe the Packers will have signed a cornerback by then. And if they haven't, we'll talk about that because that is a story in and of itself. Remember, you can ask me questions. You can give me feedback and comments at Peter underscore Bukowski. Hit up the, the show's Twitter handle and follow it at LockedOnPackers, AcmePackingCompany.com, FanRag NFL, and always stay Locked On Packers.